To all of God's people, this is Mordecai Joseph. We are in Lesson 99 today in Ephesians 5.15. This is where we stopped last time, where Paul continues to uh, warn the brethren and to educate them, in essence, in the law of God, in the teachings of God, in the Torah of God. And he's telling them in verse 15, chapter 5, See that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise. And the people that obey the law of God, the Torah of God, are wise people. They're the ones that are called the wise that shall understand. And this is what he tells them. And yet, at the same time, so many uh, false prophets who are rising up, grievous wolves, within the congregation, and the different congregations that Paul was dealing with, and they were teaching just the opposite. That people, in essence, ought to be fools by disobeying the law of God, claiming that it's done away with, claiming that Paul taught that which he did not. And so he tells them to be wise and not fools. Because if they listen to those other false prophets, they will be fools, or false preachers. And I tell you, it warns them to redeem the time, because the days are evil. What does it mean to be evil? When it's evil, that means people are lawless. And when people are lawless, it says you redeem the time. Don't waste time and become like them. Otherwise, they're going to be in the same boat where they are, you know, when God brings the wrath and punishment on them. And of course, he still believes at this point that Christ was coming in his day. And so... Uh, he continues, uh, well, this is generally speaking to the entirety of the congregation, that he goes to uh, individual level, where in verse 22 he says, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, as to the Adon, speaking about Jesus Christ, because Jesus Christ is the Adon, he's the husband also, he's the bridegroom. And of course, that message, whenever people are obedient to the law of God, is acceptable, but when people are rebellious, both men and women, then uh, people don't like it. And today it's the same thing. Uh, there are those who are obedient and have been taught obedience to the law of God and therefore don't have a problem with that. That is the women that uh, listen to these instructions. Yet the women that have been taught feminism and rebellion, and uh, that is rebellion to the law of God, because of abuse, yes, because of abuse on the part of men, and that's to the shame of men, and that nevertheless the law of God does not depend on abuse or or obedience, we must obey the law of God no matter what. And so, these words are still for us today, and this is a part of the Torah of God. As I said many times, the Torah of God is not something you find only in the five books of Moses. The Torah of God means the teachings of God wherever you find them, from Genesis to Revelation. And Paul constantly taught the people of God to be obedient to the law of God, to the Torah of God, wherever it's found. And so whenever he throws the general uh, term, it says in the law, sometimes it could be Moses, sometimes it could be Isaiah, sometimes it could be Psalms. And Christ does the same. And people don't get that. They think that the law means only the five books of Moses. That's not the way God re uh, uh, referred to it, but whenever God gave instructions, that's the law. That's the teaching. And that's the instruction, and this is what God wants people to obey. And so here, he's speaking in the name of Jesus Christ, where he says, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the eternal. For the husband is the head of the wife, as also Christ is the head of the church, and he is the savior of the body. Now, what body is he talking about? God came in Mount Sinai and married Israel, and he gave them laws. And in those laws, it contained also these instructions that wives are to be obedient to the husband. The husband was the head of the wife. The husband was 
the head of the family. It's not something new. Paul is not teaching anything new here. The women of all, like Sarah, as he is referring to Sarah, Paul is referring to Sarah as an example of obedience, or she called Abraham Lord, Adon. What does it mean? Just to call him Adon and uh, rebel against him, that doesn't mean anything. What he's talking about is that she understood the laws of God, that man is the head of the wife, not the other way around. There's no competition there, and there is no equality in that sense. And yet there is equality on the other hand, where they're both human beings, both partakers of the glory of God, both partakers of the salvation, and yet God gave them different roles. And he did not put the wife in charge, he put the men in charge. And women that don't like it, well, they are the kind of people that fall into the category that Paul said that the carnal man is enemy of God. And it is not subject to the Torah of God, to the teachings of God. And that's all there is to it. Now, understandable that in some cases it's extremely difficult because of abuse because of men who are not worth being men or husbands uh, that's a different story but nevertheless in spite of that it says you submit to him as unto the Lord in other words if you have a difficult time he says to the women submitting to the men because of what he is submit to God bypass the men and your obedience should be directed to God anyway to begin with and so when you serve, you serve as unto the Lord. And forget about the person. And that's what he's telling them. For the husband is the head of the wife. And that's by decree of God, whether the wife likes it or not, whether the husband is worthy of that office or not. The submission must be there. It's not submission to wrong things. Obviously, it's submission to things which are within the law, not contrary to the law. That's in the same category of submitting to whatever the scribes and the Pharisees were telling the disciples, and that's what Paul, what Christ was telling them. That they sit in the seat of authority of Moses, whatever they tell you, you do. And obviously, it's the same category. Whatever they tell you in accordance with the law of God, with the teachings of God, not things which are contrary to the law. And so it is here with the husband also. And when the, uh, the woman can look up to God and bypass the men, then she has an easier time doing it. But when the woman allows the man to come between her and God, then she becomes blind. She doesn't see God anymore, and then she has a difficult time submitting. And that's the key. Look to God and obey Him and obey whatever, uh, whether we have a master at work, today we call them bosses, or, or a husband, or whatever it may be. Obey directly God, bypassing the person, whether he deserves it or not. And so he says, for the husband is the head of the wife, as also Christ is the head of the church. And he is the savior of the body. And what body is he talking about? His own wife, the people of Israel, and those grafted, the commonwealth of Israel. Some people read these things and always think about a totally different entity. Because they've developed a false theology and they believed it. And for 2,000 years, these lies have been spreading around and people just take them for granted and think they are true. And so when God calls people out of lies and deceptions in Babylon... They bring this lie with them, and they still think of the church as being a totally different entity, and totally forgetting the whole context and the whole story. But God is speaking here about his own people. Christ came to his own. He didn't come to somebody else. He came to his own, and his own remains his own, whether they accepted him or not. He's going to deal with them when time comes, and he's going to bring them back to himself, and he's going to atone for their sins. He died for them and for the rest of mankind, and they're going to be his body and his wife and his people. That's what Paul is talking about. The majority of the people that he's talking about here anyway were Israelites. Even the, uh, they may not have been here in, in this congregation. 
But generally speaking, the entirety of the people of God at the time were still Israelites. And the disciples went to the house of Israel, an awful lot of them, uh, obviously, uh, that were members of the body, were still the majority, more than the Gentiles. When the church became more Gentile than Israelite, then it was no, no longer the church of God. It was a counterfeit church. And some people forget that. They think the Gentiles were the majority, and they never were the majority in the true church. Because the emphasis was on Israel. And so in verse 24 he says, Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, and Christ, remember, is the one that brought them out of Egypt, that delivered them, that made them cross through the Red Sea and baptized them and was with them and gave them food, spiritual food and, and uh, you know, was spiritual drink and spiritual uh, food. This was the same Christ that he's talking about here too. And that's why later on he told the Corinthians or earlier, this person was Christ. So, understand the context that Paul is talking about. And if you don't understand the entirety of the story, you know, you get mixed up here. And therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, and that's what God wanted Israel to be, and she will be, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything, that is, in everything that is pertaining to the law, not unlawful. And then he goes to the husbands, where he tells them exactly the same. It's not only a one way. And this message is the same message that God gave Israel, being the husband of Israel, and Israel is his wife, and Paul is not saying anything new here. He's just teaching the Gentiles who were not aware of the law and the prophecies that should have been the teachings that were given to Israel long ago between a husband and wife. The husband was God and the wife was Israel. Well, that's why he's telling them, you submit to the husband as unto the Lord, the God of Israel. Because you're going to be married to him. And if you don't learn that in the flesh, how are you going to learn that in the spirit? And that's the way God tests us. To see whether we are obedient to him. You know, do we serve the ones that he placed in authority over us, whether it be government, whether it be any anything else, in this case it's a husband, for the wife, or the parents, for the children, or the master that we have at work, where he taught them to be subject to those who are in authority, that God allows to be in authority, and they don't have to be righteous people, and wonderful people and all that. It would be nice if they are, but if they are not, nevertheless, he says, you submit to them as unto the Lord, obviously, in matters that are not contrary to the law. And so now he speaks to the husband, and he tells them exactly the same thing. Because both men and women are to be prepared for the ultimate marriage with God. You see, that's why they need these instructions, and God is preparing his bride. The children of Israel, that he's now calling out of the world and giving the Holy Spirit so they can become the spiritual Israel and come under the new covenant, and the ones that he's grafting out of the nations. They all come into the same future marriage. That's what Paul is talking about. So when you understand the context, then you begin to really understand what Paul is talking about. And so he says, Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. And that's what the problem is. Husbands don't love their wives as Christ does, and wives don't love their husbands as, God, as Christ commands them to obey their husbands, and in obedience to law, you are showing your love. Love because love is the fulfilling of the law, and people don't see the two together. And so they have conflicts and frictions and war instead of a godly house that is governed by God himself. Verse 26, so it says, uh, uh, well, 
verse 25, husbands love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. Why? Why did he give himself for her? And for whom did he give himself? If he came to his own and died for the sins of his own people, as Isaiah made very plain, and many other prophets, but in Isaiah 53, you can see exactly what he did. He died for our sins, he says. He was bruised for our iniquities. He didn't say for the iniquities of the world or other nations. He's speaking about his own people, Israel, and that's the way they, God gave him the message to be recorded. And so that's the one that he died for. And people don't get it. The thing is, it is for this new entity called the church. Christ died for his own. He came to his own and he's going to marry his own. And if you don't get it from that point of view, you just don't get what you're reading. You're inventing yourself a new theology and you're following the lies of Babylon. That's what he's saying here. He loved the church. He loved Israel. He gave his life for her. That's how much he loved Israel. In spite of her. And he gave himself for her. That he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of the water by the word. And that's exactly the message of Isaiah. Why Christ died. Why the servant of God died. The servant of the Lord. In order to atone for the sins of Israel. That he may take them back to, to himself. And God made that plan there from the beginning of time. And those who are blind. Who do not read the entirety of the story. They come to this point here. And they think oh that's talking about the so called the church. You know, for many, many centuries, uh, the only church that people recognized as the church was the one that became known as the Catholic Church. And so, they all applied it to that. And the Protestants came and they applied it to themselves. And then people that got bored out of those Babylonian religions come and they apply it to themselves. And they all forget about whom God is speaking. Of whom God is speaking. Let's understand it from God's point of view. The way God tells the history of his own church, not the way men perverted and warped that, and we'll believe it, and we walk in lies when we do that. And so verse 27, uh, well, verse 26, it says, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word. What word? The teachings. What teachings? The teachings of God, which is the Torah. That's how God washes us. In other words, by giving us instructions true instructions, it makes us understand what is light and what is darkness. So we can understand that the instructions that we were taught in the world were not of Him. They make us filthy. But the instructions that He gives us make us clean. So he's speaking about the Torah. That's how God washes His people. By His own instructions, His own Torah. That's why He said, you know, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, unless my word abides in you, speaking about the Torah. You have no life in you. Why call me Lord, Lord, and you do not do what I say? If you enter into life, keep the commandments, and so forth, and so forth. And don't think that I came to do away with the trial that, you know, the prophets. I came to fulfill. And anybody who doesn't keep all of it, and that doesn't teach so to others, is not going to be in the kingdom. You see, and people don't get it when they, when they read this kind of, uh, of instructions. And so this is what Paul is talking about. Remember, Paul is a Jew, an Israelite, a Pharisee of the Pharisees still, Teaching the people of God, be it among the people of Israel who already knew these instructions, and the people who didn't know these instructions, whom God has called among the Gentiles. All the same message, same theology, nothing new. And so, he's washing her by the water of the word, by the Torah, by the teachings of, of, of God, that he might present her to himself a glorious Eda, a church. See? Church is a leisure word inserted into it and that's taken for granted. That's what he said. Well, realize, Paul wasn't speaking English, Christ wasn't speaking English, and he's not using this word either. 
speaking about the Edah, Adat Israel, the body of witnesses of Israel, among whom now also Gentiles are being grafted and are becoming Israelites, no longer Gentiles. And that's what he's talking about. And so, he wants to present to himself his people Israel, the nation of Israel, the whole entirety of the house of Israel, the twelve tribes of them, both the house of Judah and the house of Israel, and the ones grafted among them, is a glorious Edah, glorious body of witnesses. So they're going to witness throughout the whole world of his name, of his law. And so he says he's going to present him, uh, to himself a glorious Edah, not having spot or wrinkle. In other words, no sin, no transgression, no iniquity, because he's atoning for her, washing her by his word, by his spirit, by his blood, by his truth. Sanctify them through your truth. Thy word is truth. He said to the Father in John 17, in his last prayer. That's what he's talking about. And that time, we're speaking about the children of Israel. There was no so-called church at the time. That was the church, and that is still the church. And so he says, he's going to present uh, her, uh, her to himself a glorious body of witnesses, done, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy and without blemish. And there is no way you can be holy and without blemish and without spot and without wrinkle unless you obey the Torah. Because the Torah will tell you what is right, what is wrong, what is good, what is bad, what is righteous, what is unrighteous. There is no other way to find that out. Having the Holy Spirit doesn't do you any good if you don't know the Word of God. The purpose of the Holy Spirit is to lead you to the truth, to the Word of God, to the Torah, to the teaching, so that you may obey it. And now it gives you the power and the strength and the ability to do it in the Spirit. And the Word of God, to begin with, is Spirit. The Torah is Spirit. It's not just a bunch of words written on a tablet. That's what Christ was trying to teach his disciples. My word is spirit. It gives life. And when the law of God is written in our heart, it is written by the spirit, and the word of God is spirit. and becomes a living law in us. That's something we have to be reminded of all the time. And that's what Christ in us, the hope of glory. That's what the whole mystery is all about. And so he says in verse 28, So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his own wife loves himself. And people don't get that message. And they don't realize that the only way you can keep that, uh, you can make that a reality is when you study the Torah and learn the laws of marriage, the laws of human relationship, the laws of love. That's why Paul says love works no ill to his neighbor. And he, his neighbor could be uh, his mate. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the Torah. And so, for husbands to love their wives, they must study the Torah. You don't study the Torah, you don't know how to love your wife godly, in a godly manner. And this is what Paul is teaching the Gentiles, who did not know the Torah, and did not know how to love their husbands, and their wives, and their children, and their neighbors. And so he says in verse 29, For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as the Lord does, well, the church, the body, the body of witnesses, the people of Israel, commonwealth of Israel, his wife, his bride, and so forth. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. And when we eat his flesh and drink his blood, then we become members of his flesh and his bones. And members of his body. And the only way you do it is when you study his word. And then you do it. And you obey it. And you obey it in the spirit. And you obey it in the letter. It's not a, uh, an ethereal preaching. It's the same thing that Moses was teaching. 
no different, and Paul is not teaching any new theology. He's just magnifying the Torah. And that's exactly what the role of the priests and the Levites was all along to magnify the Torah and explain these very things to the people of Israel. So they too would do the same. And Paul has been taught all of his life in this way, and that's what he's teaching them, the same way, the same religion, the religion of God. And it's not new religion called Christianity. People don't read the whole book, you know, they are the ignorant and they come up with this new terminology, thinking they've got up, uh, came up with a new religion, especially for them, for the Gentiles, you know, Gentile religion. And so in verse 31 he says, For this reason a man shall leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. What is he quoting? He's quoting Genesis, chapter 2, at the end of the chapter. He's quoting the law, he's quoting the Torah, you see. Everything that he says here is from the Torah. There's no new religion here. Then he says in verse 32, this is great mystery. But I speak concerning Christ and the church. Well, great mystery to whom? To those who don't know the whole story. To those who have known it all along, knew exactly what happened in Sinai and knew exactly what the prophet said will happen in the future. When God is going to marry his own people. His wife Israel, when he brings them out of captivity. Captivity to sin, captivity to oppressors. And captivity to the grave. And he's going to marry them after atoning for their sins and iniquities. That's the mystery he's talking about. To those who have known it, it's not a mystery. But to those who are in ignorance and to the world who is going to read it, it's a mystery. And so in verse 33, we read, Nevertheless, let each one of you in particular so love his own wife, and for that matter anybody else, uh, your children, your parents, your neighbors, because God commands that, Love his own wife as himself. That's why it says, love your neighbor as yourself. And your neighbor could be anybody. Because we're all going to be members of the body of Christ and ultimately members of the body of the Father himself. And he's going to be all and in all. So he says, let the wife see that she respects her husband or reverence her husband in the old King James Version. And then he continues to the children. And all he, all he does is basically teaching the Torah to the children of Israel who are now grafted from among the nations and have become children of Israel. And some of them here in this congregation are Jews and uh, the rest of them are not Jews, but all come under the same religion of Israel. At this point it's the religion of Judah because Judah is the only one uh, around. And that's why he told uh, the Gentiles, you became followers of the, of the churches in Judea, the congregations in Judea. What does that mean? Well, you became followers of the religion of Judah. We're talking about the biblical religion, not the rabbinic religion of Judah. And you have to know the difference between the two. And people don't get uh, that, and they don't understand it, and they lump the whole thing together and throw it out of the window. And so let's understand it from God's point of view. And God made it very plain from the beginning of time, as we read it earlier in the prophets, that God is going to prepare his wife, bring back his wife to himself, and he's going to marry them, and they will be his people. His God is not going to forsake them. As uh, you can read in, uh, in the book of Hosea, among many other places, maybe we should uh, return to that, even though we quoted that earlier, to link these teachings of the Apostle Paul to what God says long ago to his people Israel, so we can understand what Paul is talking about. In Hosea chapter 2 and verse 14, we read, Therefore, behold, I will allure her, speaking after she sent her into captivity, the house of Israel. Therefore, I will allure her, will bring her into the wilderness and speak comfort or comfortably to her. I will give her her vineyards from there and the valley of Fahor as a door of hope. 
she shall sing there as in the days of her youth. In other words, when Israel uh, was still his people a long time ago. So he's speaking now in, in terms of today, the coming you know, of the Messiah, and looking back into the days when she was uh, in her youth, when God married her, when he brought her out of the land of Egypt. And that's what he says, as in the days of her youth, as in the day when she came up from the land of Egypt. So you know about whom he's talking, of whom he's talking, of his own wife, of his own people of the children of Israel, of the commonwealth of Israel. That's exactly what Paul is talking about. About the time when this will be a reality, when God will bring and save all of his people Israel, wash them, atone for their sins and iniquities, and marry them. And they will be then without spot and without blemish. And people who don't get it and put it together, the whole story, they just don't get at all what the apostle Paul is talking about. And so it says in verse 16, And it shall be in that day, says the Eternal, this is the eternal that is speaking now through the Apostle Paul to his own people. That you will call me my husband. And no longer call me my master or Ishi. Uh, that is, you will call me Ishi and no more uh, Baal. You know, Baal and master are the same word in Hebrew. It says, you are going to call me my husband. Now, you know very well that Christ is not going to have two wives in the future or two brides. He's going to have only one. question is, which one? The false one or the true one? And the question is, which is the true one? The one that calls itself the true one and disobeys the Torah of God and has a totally different religion, calling it Christianity? Or the people of Israel, the commonwealth of Israel that Paul is speaking to all along throughout all of his ministry. Because all the Gentiles that were grafted into the commonwealth of Israel became house of Israel, people of Israel, spiritually speaking, not physically. And of course, entirety of the, of the, uh, the brethren uh, that were basically from Israelite stock, be it from Judah, all the other tribes of Israel that the apostles went to. And they were actually the majority. It's just there isn't much writing about them because for two reasons. Either one, uh, God was still hiding their identity and therefore many of the writings about them did not make it into the canonized form. And on the other hand, when you realize that the Catholic Church is the one that ultimately canonized the so-called New Testament, obviously they were not too interested in having the children of Israel as a major part of the writings. Whatever it may be, it doesn't make any difference. God wrote the history of his church from the beginning until the end. So there is plenty there for us to understand, to comprehend. So that's what he says about his wife. You shall call me my husband. And this is the wife that Paul is talking about. And no longer call me my master. For I will take from her mouth the names of Baals, you know, idol worship. And to this day, most Israelites are idol worshippers. They don't realize that. Oh, they think they've got the true religion. God considers them to be idol worshippers still in this very day, though they call themselves Christians. And so it says, And they shall be remembered by their name no more. And that day I will make a covenant for them, that is a marriage covenant, with the beasts of the field, and with the birds of the air, and with the creeping things of the ground, uh, bow the sword of battle, and I will, sh I will shatter uh, from the earth. And uh, in other words, it's going to take away all those things and make a covenant with them, and uh, also will make a covenant between them and uh, nature, so to speak, so they will not have any more destruction. And uh, he's going to make them lie down and safely. And then in verse 19, this is what Paul is speaking about. And if you don't know that, you don't know what Paul is talking about. And that's why Peter calls those who do not know the entirety of the story, the unlearned. And many of us are unlearned. We think that we know and we don't. Otherwise, we would not think that the church is a separate entity and we would not say... God put down Israel and picked up the church. That shows the ignorance that is in us, that we still live by the theology of Babylon. And God commands us to come out of Babylon if we are his people. 
Verse 19, it says, I will betroth you to me forever. You're going to be my bride forever, for eternity. You're not going to have two brides. Yes, I will betroth you to me in righteousness and justice and loving kindnesses and mercy. I will betroth you to me in faithfulness and you shall know the eternal. You're going to know who is Jesus Christ, the Savior, the Anointed, the Lord, the Master, the God of Israel, the Husband of Israel, the God who brought you out of Egypt. And it shall come to pass in that day, verse 21, that I will answer, says the Eternal. You see, the Eternal and Jesus Christ are the same person. And I will answer the heavens, and they shall answer the earth, and the earth shall answer the grain, and new one, and with all, and they shall answer Jezreel, that is the valley of Jezreel. And that's what he called his people. Now, that's one of the sons that he gave to Hosea, with Jezreel. Then I will sow her, speaking about his own wife, his Israel, commonwealth of Israel, I will sow her for myself in the earth, myself. His own people. You only have a chosen of all the families of the earth. That's what it means. He isn't chosen any other wife, any other uh, mate. He's not, you know, in the business of looking for playmates. And that's why he calls the church that calls himself his church a whore. And the others that came out of her harlots. And he's not going to marry a whore or a harlot. He's going to wash his bride. So she can be without spot, without blemishes, and she's going to be obedient to his Torah, and he's going to make a new covenant with her, and he's going to write his Torah in her heart by the Holy Spirit, and she's going to have the Holy Spirit, and speaking by the children of Israel. So he says, verse 23 again, Then I will sow her for myself in the earth, speaking about the territory of Israel. And it's not Palestine for the ignoramuses. And I will have mercy on her in who had not obtained mercy, then I will say to those who were not my people, because he cast them away. So he cast out the house of Israel. And that's what the Gentiles said. Well, you know, you used to be the people of God, but you were rebellious. God cast you away. And now he put down Israel and he picked up the church. And now we are the church. We're the people of God. We're going to be the bride. We're going to be the wife. God says, you're a bunch of liars. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and you do not do my commandments? You're not my people. You're disobedient. I haven't chosen you. I've chosen all of Israel. Because they who call God a liar, they are the liars, not him. They are the liars. And those who claim that the church is a separate entity from the house of Israel are liars. And those who claim that God put down Israel and picked up the church are liars. They are not the people of God. They are not the servants of God. They are mixed up people. They have partial truth. They are drunk with the wine of the wrath of the fornications of the great whore. And God says, come out of it if you want to be my people, especially you who are children of Israel. In the flesh. If you want to become spiritual children of Israel. All the way, not just partially. And so that's what he says. Then I will serve her for myself in the earth, and I will have mercy on her who has not obtained mercy, because he allowed them to go their own way and suffer the consequences of their own iniquity. And he allowed the Gentiles to have their time, you know. That's why he said, until the time of the Gentiles come to the full, then he's going to bring back his people of Israel. That's exactly what you're reading here. And then I will say to those who were not my people, you are my people. And they shall say, you are my Elohim. And the, and the Lord that is going to marry Israel is, not, is the eternal and Elohim. And he's the son of the Most High, who is the one that is all over him. Who is called the El Elyon. That's a part of the mystery, and that's what Paul is talking about here. And if you don't have the background, and you cannot put the two together, you just don't know what you are reading. You are reading it just like uh, a Babylonian reads it. 
a member of the false churches. And God is not pleased with this kind of an understanding because that's vomit to him. So that's what Paul is teaching the, the people that God called and grafted into the commonwealth of Israel, that God is going to ultimately, when he gathers all of Israel and the few that he grafted among them from the Gentiles, he's going to make them a bride to himself without spot, without wrinkle. It's going to be a glorious body of witnesses. Now they're going to do their job and teach all nations uh, the word of God, the truth of God, the law of God, the Torah of God. That's why he says, and uh, the Torah of God, the law of God shall go out of Jerusalem and the word of the eternal from Jerusalem because that's what the children of Israel, that is representatives of all the tribes of Israel will be uh, stationed, uh, will be called the workers of the city as I mentioned before and their job will be when the nations come to hear the word of God or to re inquire of the word of God they will be the ones to teach them. That's how Israel is becoming the mother of all nations. That's what Paul is talking about. Heaven is Jerusalem, the mother of us all. And Israel will continue to do it forever. And so that's what he's, he's telling them. And if we, don't, if we don't get it from that point of view, we just, just don't understand. And God wants us to be children of understanding, not children of darkness. That's why he says, grow in grace. Don't think you know it all. He who thinks he stands, take it lest he fall. And if you want to, want to do away with all the scriptures, might as well throw away the Bible. You know, and call God a liar because this is the word of God. It's not the word of man. I didn't invent these things. I did not write them. I did not write the prophets. I did not write, you know, these statements that we just read in Hosea. God did. They have a choice to believe God or believe men. And that's what, well, that's why Paul said, you know, in Romans, let God be true and every man a liar. And the majority of people are liars. Maybe nice people, good people, devout people, sincere people, all that. That's not the issue. The issue is, do, you know the, do they know the truth? Or have been taught lies and they are spreading it around, thinking they are truth. Let's go now to Colossians chapter 3, where the story continues. I mean, you can go through the entirety of the writings of the Apostle Paul and find an awful lot of information about it, but obviously we cannot cover everything. It's up to you to read it, word for word. And with the eyes of God, with the eyes of an Israelite, and a spiritual Israelite, begin to read it from the beginning until the end, not with the eyes of Babylonian, or whatever religion you came out of. So in Colossians chapter 3 and verse 16, uh, Paul continues by saying, Let the word of Christ, what is the word of Christ? Remember who is Christ? The God of Israel. The one that led them, gave them spiritual food. That's the one he's talking about. He's not talking about a new religion, a new God. Led the word of God, the God of Israel, Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the Savior of Israel, God of the whole earth, dwell in you richly. In other words, in other words he says, let the Torah dwell in you richly. The Torah, the entirety of it. From Genesis to Revelation. Let the Torah of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns. And uh, he repeated the same thing uh, to the Ephesians, Ephesians 5.19. Yeah, it's a part of the teachings, you know, this is what David was doing. This is what the men of, uh, of the temple, the Levites, uh, the priests, this is what the men of God did, this is what Samuel did, this is what Saul, when, when God uh, caused him to walk among the prophets, did. This is what all the men of God did from the beginning of time. Always praise God, sing to God. That's what he's saying. He's telling the church, nothing new. That's what he's telling the people of Israel. Continue to do that. Especially to the Gentiles who didn't know that. Being Gentiles. He says, sing to God. In Psalms. 
what songs is he talking about? Well, the songs that are written, recorded, and all, all his relatives knew about them. The songs that are uh, canonized uh, by this time and are, to this day, called the songs. Tehillim in Hebrew, praises to God. But David and Ezekiel and Esaph and, and uh, Moses and many other people were involved in it. And yet, you know, David had great fortune uh, of it and great part in it. And then As Asaph and the sons of Asaph and the sons of Korah. You know, when you read the, the beginning of every psalm, you know who wrote it. And uh, that's what he's talking to them about, you know. This is the religion of Israel. Songs and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the eternal. And then verse 17, he says, And whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Eternal. Uh, that is, in the name of the Lord Jesus, that is, in the name of the Adon, Jesus, who is also the Eternal, giving thanks to Elohim, the Father, through Him. Because Elohim is the head of the whole family in heaven and earth. And the religion is His. And Christ came to obey His commandments. Christ did not come to invent a new religion, calling it Christianity, so people can follow Him. He directed all worship to the Father, in his name, through him. Not instead of him, and he didn't tell his disciples from now on prayer, our heavenly Jesus Christ, hallowed be thy name. No, he says, our heavenly Father. And people forgot that, and to this very day, now you've got a new religion on the scene. They call it uh, Messianic. Uh, what they mean by that, uh, it's a religion of Jesus. Well, nothing new about it. People that do not have the whole story, don't understand it properly, that's what they do. Christ didn't call us to, to have a new religion called Messianism or Christianity or whatever it may be. It's the same religion that he gave to Israel. He's the husband of Israel. He's going to marry Israel. And this is the entirety of the religion. And that religion, to begin with, was given to mankind from the Father through Jesus Christ or the God of Israel or the, uh, the Rock of Israel or the Savior. You know, all the names that he assumed, all the roles that he played... And Jesus the Messiah became in the flesh. All those roles all came from the Father. Because as he said, always my Father is greater than I. Obviously it comes from the top. And God is the head. That is Elohim is the head of Christ, not the other way around. Even though they are equal in many other ways. And so this is what he tells them. And then he repeats the same instructions about wives submitting to their own husbands and children submitting to their own parents and fathers not to provoke the children. In verse 22, bond servants obey in all Things, your masters, according to the flesh, not with eye service. And uh, then he tells them, ultimately, you know, they should all be uh, in the same attitude of serving one another, obeying one another, and loving one another. In other words, walking in the Torah. That's what the royal law is all about. Love your neighbor as yourself. And then love God with all of your heart and might and soul. You don't see any religion here whatsoever. Paul is not giving a new religion. He's not teaching any new theology. These are not Christian principles or Christian values, or Christian ethics, and so forth and so forth. These are the teachings that God gave from the Garden of Eden. And when Adam and Eve rejected that, then he chose some other righteous man that followed in his footsteps, and then Noah was among them, and he was the only one that was saved, he and his family, because of his righteousness, because he obeyed this very Torah. And then he came down and had relationship with Abraham, and through him he began the nation of Israel, and he finally, for the first time, which he had never done before, married a wife, married a nation, married a people. In other words, he called a body of witnesses to be teachers to all mankind. And that's why the marriage relationship. So both husband and wife, the husband is God and the wife is Israel, 
how to teach the rest of humanity and make all of them children. And when people don't understand the entirety of the plan of God, which is the mystery of God from the beginning until the end, then they come to the writings of the Apostle Paul and they totally blow it, so to speak. They come up with new religions, new theologies, and then they all have those their own splits because each one sees it differently. And to this very day in our own midst, we're all confused, we're all Babylonian in that sense. We're all splitting and resplitting and having our own churches and our own organizations and our own this and our own that. That means man-made. That's what it means, our own. Each one, you know, uh, does his own thing. One follows after himself. One's money, one's fame and power and all those things and all claim to be the only servants of God. That's how confused we are and all of us don't know who the, the true church of God is. Who and what are the true church of God? God tells us, come out of this Babylon, out of this confusion, because all of us are in it. And just like children, babes in Christ, begin to read the story from the beginning until the end, because Christ is the one that began the story from the Garden of Eden, dealing with mankind, and Christ is the one that married Israel, and Christ is the one that came and gave himself for his own, and Christ is the one who is teaching here through the Apostle Paul or any other apostle or servant or teacher, and Christ is the one that, to this very day, through his own word, that he goes to be recorded, is teaching those who are willing to listen, the entirety of the story. And when people get it that way properly, from the beginning until the end, then they are no longer children of Babylon. But the rest who insist in remaining in that way, well, God gives us a choice. And then, at the same time, he also commands us to choose, choose that which is right. And, uh... Let's go back to uh, Colossians, now chapter uh, chapter two, where there are some writings here that we should uh, go through because that would illuminate what we read before that to the Ephesians. What is it that Christ nailed to the cross in verse? Uh, well, in verse thirteen, he tells them, chapter tw- uh, chapter two, and you being dead in your own trespasses, speaking obviously here in, in this case to uh, non-Israelites who now became Israelites. Uh, as it tells in verse 11, In him you were also circumcised with the circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of sins. In other words, transgression against the Torah of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, where he circumcises your heart, just like he commanded Israel. And uh, verse 12, Buried with him in baptism, in which you also were raised with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. And when they start walking in faith and follow Christ, they also begin to obey Christ and obey the Torah of Christ, the same Torah that he gave to Israel. In verse 13 it says, And you being dead in your trespasses, that is, transgression against the Torah, and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he is made alive together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses. You see, you disobeyed the Torah. You broke the law. And you had to repent. And you were baptized, and then God gave you the Holy Spirit, and now you follow Him by faith, and now you are going to obey Him from now on. Not say, well, the Lord is done away with. And now we just walk by faith. Otherwise, what was this whole matter all about? Verse 14, why even forgive you the Lord is done away with? Verse 14, having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us. And that's what we read earlier in Ephesians chapter 2. Where there, it was mis- you know, translated in a, in, a, in a way that confuses people to think that the law is done away with. So, you know, but he nailed the law to the cross. Here he's explaining it a little bit better. At least the translation here did it better. 
having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us. In other words, the ordinances that were against us. In other words, every time we sin, there is an ordinance that says, guilty. And this is what he wiped out. That handwriting, that guilty ver verdict. And he had taken it off, out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. This is what he nailed to the cross. The guilty verdict, because he took it upon himself. And all the sins that we have committed, he took it upon himself. And the sins that we have committed demanded death. And he took it upon himself. And this is what he's talking about. He didn't say he nailed the law to the cross. He nailed the penalty of the law to the cross. By himself becoming the penalty. He nailed the consequences to the cross by taking it upon himself. So that people from now on can walk in the faith, in the truth, in the light, in the Torah, in righteousness, and be obedient until the end. And you see, when you, when you talk about uh, people who are ignorant and blind and, and thinking that they know the faith and they walk in the light and the truth, they believe just the opposite. And they go their merry way, thinking that they're doing right and they're going to heaven. Verse 15, having disarmed principalities and powers, he made public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. In other words, the spirit of, of, uh, of wickedness, demons, that lead people to wickedness, to evil, to transgression, to lawlessness, in essence, neutralize them by, by, by his sacrifice. Now they can have no longer power over his people, the people that respond to him and walk in faith and obedience. That's what he's talking about here. So let no one judge you in food or in drink or regarding a festival or a new moon or Sabbath. You see, none of them, all, all those out there in the world, have no business judging you. When it comes to keeping the festivals of Israel, the Sabbath of Israel, the new moon that was given to Israel, which are all of God, and out of Israel, ultimately speaking, but they were given to Israel to obey. That's what he's saying here. At this point, we're going to stop. This is again Mordecai Joseph saying greetings to God's people. Until next time. The preceding message was taken from the World Wide Website at address www.biblestudy.org. This site is sponsored by Barnabas Ministries. Bible study. You have questions? The Bible has answers.